Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. So the problem is we lost touch with truth. We lost touch with the field of pure consciousness. And it practically is difficult to return to it. Essentially, in principle, it's not. But why is it that in practice, people can spend many years without reaching silence and freedom from uh, an ego structure that suffers and that has judgments and that has uh, behaviors that cause its own suffering, right? Why is that, that we're stuck in that? So today I want to understand that, even though it is possible to have instantaneous liberation from the ego, in practice it's rare. So it would be good to understand why. And so I want to uh, try to create a diagram that will show you that. And the idea or the concept that was used to understand this by Sri Ramana, who's, who's one of our uh, patron sages here, is the concept of chit jada granti, okay? Chit jada granti, it's not a the, but a th as uh, a lighter t. So chit means intelligence, the real is sat, chit ananda, that's one of the definitions of the self in its field nature, intelligence that is uh, in a state of purity of being, the sat is the field, and uh, ananda means it's blissful. It's, it's in an ecstatic state because there are no obstacles. There's no karma. It's eternal, luminous, infinite being. So it's blissful. That's who we are. That's our real nature. But we have forgotten it, and our consciousness has become contracted into the illusion that we're human beings going through space and time in a world full of difficulties and insanity and uh, all kinds of uh, unexpected uh, events that disturb our equanimity. Okay, so the, the way that this knot was most understood, uh, I think most clearly understood, in modern uh, or postmodern Western thought is a concept developed by Jacques Lacan in uh, psychoanalysis uh, uh, that he called the Borromean knot. So I'm going to equate these two. This term means this is not Granti, and the knot is intelligence knotted to the jada. Jada means that which is inert, which is the body. The physical body, 
when consciousness has completely left it, it's a corpse, it's inert. So the consciousness becomes knotted to it, it gives life to the body, but the consciousness loses its infinite field nature and begins to identify with an excitation in the field. Okay, this is the problem. Now, the way Lacan put it is that there are three circles that are interwoven as a knot, and he called them the real symbolic imaginary. For Lacan, the real was defined as trauma. Okay? Now, why is the real trauma? The way I would understand it is this. The real self, which is blissful, finds itself contracting and identifying as a fetal body in the uterus of a, of, of a mother to be, right? One finds one's consciousness before birth in the intrauterine period in a very squashed situation that if the mother is not in a state of bliss, but in a state of anxiety or in a state of some kind of difficulty, all of her mental agitations are poured into your consciousness and you can do nothing about it. You're totally helpless and you're totally stuck in a situation that you cannot get out of except through abortion or miscarriage or uh, some, some other means that uh, is, would not be pleasant. And, uh, and one is in a process in which one has no control. Now, if you had a mother who was blissful and, uh, and who uh, was not disturbed by any of the uh, 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 situations in her life during her pregnancy, you would not have to have created a chit jada grunty. You could have identified with her infinite consciousness and been born without going through the birth trauma of having to be knotted into a body that was being traumatized. That's very rare these days. How many people had a blissful mother? <laughs> Not too many hands are going up. Okay. That's the situation in what we call Kali Yuga. Not the original state uh, of consciousness. We are in a fallen state, in a world full of stresses and struggles that did not exist. Even a thousand years ago, if you think of the idyllic kind of world in a rural situation where there are no uh, internal combustion engines, no cars, airplanes, anything disturbing you, and, uh, and, and life is very slow and stately and can be very beautiful. And many people went through lives in which there were no wars or conflicts and not even any decisions to make because, you know, in the feudal period, everything was decided by your birth order and, 
and the family you were in, etc. You didn't have to decide what you were going to do for a living. You didn't have to buy insurance. You know, you didn't have to depend on bureaucracies. There weren't even police on the street. There were no guns. There were, you know, things were in a very nice situation for most people during most periods, even of Kali Yuga history that we know about. And there were many higher civilizations before that that are lost in uh, historical amnesia, but we know about if we want to study them. So our consciousness and our ego structures have morphed through time and have become more and more defensive as a result of more and more collective and individual traumas building up and more situations of war and conflict and enslavement and oppression, etc. as time goes on and uh, more uh, sense of, uh, of tra trauma that happens the moment the consciousness leaves the field and enters into the uh, bodily identification. So that trauma then, which is accelerated by the way birth happens, which is usually out of, not a natural birth anymore. Most births are C-sections today and not because of, uh, of need, uh, of, of medical need, but just convenience of the doctor's scheduling, et cetera. And, uh, and that also produces effects of uh, anger perhaps or of resignation, giving up to big brother before you even start, because you don't get to be born at the moment you choose under your own willpower going through the birth canal. You're ripped out and uh, you are under the control of, uh, of the big other before you even get to start uh, your life. So this, uh, this produces a kind of matrix of meaning in which there is already a paranoid oppression that is operating before you even acquire language. And then, of course, there are further traumas that happen around the perinatal period, and uh, most mothers in the West do not uh, breastfeed long enough the child, and the conditions of attention are not there because the mother has to work or there is a, a very unstable uh, pairing between mother and father and uh, a lot of uh, struggle, anxiety, insecurity, etc. that get obviously imposed upon the child, right? So trauma is the state uh, that we are born into these days. And then the ego creates an imaginary reaction to that and, uh, and produces fantasies that are subconscious and conscious narratives about life based on uh, these experiences. and uh, then projects those and generalizes from its original experience of mother, father, siblings, extended family onto other people. 
And, and once it generalizes those projections, it begins to have the same kinds of negative experiences that it had with those original others with everyone else that it meets, who, who become you know, later editions of the same kind of uh, uh, resistant object, let's say. On the symbolic side, one learns language and learns to reason and to feel remorse. Why remorse? Well, first of all, the child has a lot of needs and has to follow a lot of rules. Okay, so when I put law here, it, really we mean rules for a child to obey or to rebel against. But one has to deal with that, and one has to deal with the helplessness of the physical body and its need for protection and sustenance from adults. It needs mothering for a long period and then fathering and protection as it learns how to leave its local environment and go to school and other, other situations that can be even more traumatic, right, with bullying, etc. So law and need are in conflict and, and produce frustration. And the child always assumes that the unhappiness of its parents were caused by it not being good enough. Right? If only I were more beautiful, intelligent, Christ-like, whatever, uh, then my parents would have been happy, but I failed them. The child always takes it on, that they were the cause of the unhappiness in their family. If only I hadn't been born, my mother would have become the ballerina she should have been instead of a mother who had to retire, right? And so all of those kinds of, uh, of taking on of the other's pain is part of the narcissistic mindset of the child. And then it adds more and more burdens to itself. It becomes a karma collector and uh, creates more and more sense of it's my fault about everything. Or it will go to the opposite and judge others and say, it's your fault, I'm innocent, you're the one that's causing me problems, and one will become an abuser. But one has to make a choice regarding that, but generally the choice is to take on the suffering and to act it out in one's own life. So once one is in that state, uh, there really isn't a way out of that knot. Okay, so if, if we stopped with Lacan, we would be relatively hopeless. Because the best you could do is, as he says, traverse the fantasies. You can get away from some of your fantasies by realizing they are that. And, uh, and shift your symbolic understanding of reality out of a narcissistic, it's my fault or it's the other's fault, either or duality. But nonetheless, you're still stuck with trauma and with need and with insane rules that you have to follow and a sense of helplessness. 
and a sense of being trapped in a world you didn't create. Right? So, is there a way out of this? Well, we would say that these represent chakra one, two, and three. And what Lacan didn't know about radical acceptance and love, okay? These three, we, we call the first three assemblage points. 1.5, we usually call them 2.5, 3.5. But they are different modes of being. We call the first one the clinging point, uh, the second dispossession point, and the third the disillusionment point. So within these, these uh, three chakras, the final one also comes under some of the influence of chakra four and enables one to, uh, let's say, to accept reality and to enter the harness, become a productive citizen, uh, you know, let go as much as possible of the childish illusions and fantasies and wishes and, and to live, quote-unquote, realistically. But uh, with an understanding that there's more to life than just that suffering. There is beauty. There is an aesthetic dimension to life. There's an ethical dimension, and if one lives in accord with the Dharma or with higher rules, one can deal with the lower rules that have illegitimate authority. One can live at a higher plane, and one can enter a religious understanding that there is something more to reality than just what appears in the phenomenal plane. So chakra four is like the linchpin by accepting it and not resisting it, fighting it, or identifying with it, one is able to transcend it, okay? And you first transcend it by uh, accepting the terms of engagement, but that's not the end, that's the beginning. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.